Welcome to Extra Musical, the podcast where we delve into the lives, thoughts, creative process, and hobbies of musicians and other creative artists. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, visit www.hiddencinemarecords.com slash podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast and everything else going on at HCR, become a patron at www.patreon.com slash hiddencinemarecords. Today, we're joined by Pascal LaBeouf. He's a composer and pianist who's received and been nominated for many awards in independent music, including jazz, eclectic music, electronica, and video game music categories. He's recently been nominated for a 2023 Grammy and has been recently awarded a 2023 Guggenheim Fellowship. You can read more about him on our website. But for now, let's get to the interview. Hi, Extra Musical listeners. Uh, you just heard a little bit about Pascal LaBeouf. Uh, this is him. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Stephen. Man, uh, so me and Pascal uh, met last year in 20... This this is being recorded in 2023. Uh, in 2022, when I traveled down to Nashville and we played a show together. You're based in Nashville, right? I am now, yes. Okay, so like what you you are now, so like where are you from? What do you do? What's like kind of like your story? If someone was like a quick origin story on Pascal LaBeouf, what would that look like? Okay, well, I'll see if I can (laughs) speed through this. I grew up super quick. Oh, you know, I grew up in Santa Cruz, California. Um, I'm an identical twin, so my brother's a sax player, his name's Rami LaBeouf, and uh, we played music together we moved to new york in 2004 Mm. uh we got really into modern jazz and uh nerdy odd time signature music and (laughs) improvising and emotional depth and all the stuff that you know people get into when they get into music and uh um we stayed there and worked professionally we did college stuff we um uh, eventually, I moved to Princeton, New Jersey to, oh, cool. to get a PhD at Princeton in music composition because I started working with a lot of uh, classically trained musicians. Yeah. And, uh, oh, I lived in Boston for a quick couple seconds to, to to learn about music production and sound design at Berkeley. Cool. Um, not to get a degree, really, just to go there because that's where all the um, – that's where you, you could go to learn about that stuff at the time because mm. uh, electronic music and, and production hadn't been like uh, – you know, kind of, um, standardized in academia so much yet. Um, but anyway, ran around and then, and then started, studied composition and lived in, in Princeton for a while, which is where I met my lovely wife, Molly Heron. And, uh, we both got jobs, uh, uh just out of the pandemic, uh, at Vanderbilt university in 2021. And so we moved to Nashville and now we live here, um, with our little baby Baxter and, uh, yeah. Oh, so you're a recent Nashville, you two are recent Nashville transplants. Yes, that's right. Oh, okay. So Molly's a musician too. Huh? Is Molly oh, yeah, Molly, yeah. She's a composer. She plays viola da gamba. Um, oh, viola she, of the leg. Whoa. Yeah. She's pretty is she, awesome. Is she like an early music specialist? Well, she's really into early music and new music and kind of how they relate to each other. Wait, so does she, she writes, do m- She writes music new music for, for old instruments. That's so cool. Because, like, in my music history class that I teach, I'll be like, viola da gamba. And, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, like, predecessor of the cello. Like, it's the yeah. viola of the leg. And, like, I've never heard of anyone playing it still. If the, Playing it still oh, yeah. and not playing, like, period Early music. music. Yeah. yeah, right, exactly. So well, they're like, out there. 
but they're playing new music for Viola da Gamba. That's yeah. pretty legit. Tell your okay. wife as soon as you get off of this recording, she's a boss. That's so cool. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so you you like have been around uh, basically like the East Coast and West Coast, and now you're like in the South. So you've done a lot of like travel traversing the non coast, <laughs> right? Well, I mean, in yeah. hip hop, it's the third coast. Uh, oh, well, is Tennessee hey. part of the third? Yeah, I think Tennessee part know. of that. Yeah. Tennessee probably wants to be. It, yeah, it wants know. to be. It has Nashville. <laughs> a, I mean, yeah. Is that an Atlanta thing? <laughs> yeah, well, it is. It's um, it's like an Atlanta, New Orleans, Houston. Really, oh, the yeah. South yeah. in general is the third yeah. coast. So that early two yeah. thousands thing. Uh, but still, like it's 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 cool that you got to traverse all those places. Yeah. It's funny when people don't put PhD next to their name. I just assume they don't have PhDs. So when you're like, I went to Princeton, I got my PhD. I was like, oh. I didn't know that. That's cool. <laughs> well, I, I didn't defend yet, so I didn't get a oh, PhD yet. Oh, okay. You can't call me doctor until I ABD. That That's what I'm they, ABD. ABD, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the, the best type of uh, acronyms there are is like, I did all the work, but you can't make me defend nothing. I won't stand by anything I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, my gosh. Uh, what was your, uh, what was your uh, not the thesis, your dissertation, yeah. Locuna? Oh, it's, it's all about rhythm. Um, I was thinking, uh, I mean, I'm very interested in rhythm in general, especially kind of the way it behaves in different kind of musical practices. Mm -hmm. Um, So like the way, you know, you can stretch things and make weird tuplets in Ableton Live is, you know, really gets really deep and crazy and weird Um, and can be kind of like Fernie Howe, except it's perfect and metronomic. And then, you know, if if you're improvising uh, with with crazy rhythms then there's this element of like internalizing them and yeah you know being able to to embody the rhythm so that you're playing something that you actually know where the beat is it's not guesswork at all you know and so um i'm really interested in how these things kind of connect and and how to kind of um uh, i don't know bridge the the language of rhythm so that people can think about it differently and and reach new uh kind of uh extremes and um yeah, and find ways of of kind of emoting and feeling in in that language too. So, so you're telling me if I go like, heady, you know, if I go back and listen to some of your music, it's just gonna be like extremely tuplety, and I'll be like, oh my gosh, how have I not? <laughs> how have well, I not noticed this was this was seven against thirteen? Well, it's a process. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Like any of my recent stuff would really do justice, but I could certainly refer you to some super nerdy people out there to listen to it. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, I, no, I definitely. Actually, we um for a lot of the episodes we do like a suggested listening, suggested reading, depending on who like w- uh, what they are doing at the time. And yeah, we can definitely put some suggested listening in the bottom. It's like if you're a tuplet nerd, here you go. If you want to oh, yeah. listen to something that's I got eleven you. against two, seventeen, here you go. And we know where the beat is. That one is strong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay i, was, I can't wait okay cool. I can't wait. Yeah. so um you you said you and your brother um uh performed music together how did, how did you guys get your start how did you get your start in music did one of you start playing first or was it like a like a joint thing is your family musical or well we met at a very early age <laughs> shut up i <laughs> hate twin jokes oh my gosh i don't hate you twin jokes, but that was just so that was like so I'm like fired. I, I got it i know i know exactly okay what okay, I'm okay. all seriousness um no i mean well i started i started playing piano mm-hmm. um i got really into changing the notes 
Remy, uh, I think I was getting some attention. We were both like very attention seeking as small children. You mm-hmm. know, we, we loved, you know, doing, you know, trying to outdo each other and, and whatever. And so I, I think Remy took up recorder because it was easy. And then it turned into oboe because our, our teacher was an oboist. She was really awesome. Oh, my um, wife's an oboist. That's fun. Yeah. You could talk about reads all yeah. night long. That's the only um, time I used to hear her swear when we were in our undergrad. Like, she used to <laughs> not swear at all. And when she would make reads, she'd be like, freaking. Like, yeah. yeah. Anyways, sorry. Oboe. Um, so, anyway, we and then oboe for Remy turned into saxophone. And, and we started kind of composing music um, at some point and, um, and playing playing music together, playing jazz together. I got really into chords and harmony i always really liked theory because it meant i didn't have to practice and i always thought i was getting away with something like oh i didn't practice and i don't want to get caught so i'm just going to do a bunch of pages in the theory book because it's really easy and then i would get way ahead in the theory books and um and jazz theory was a, was really exciting for me as a young person starting out in music um and um writing my own you know, pieces and, and playing them with Remy. And we started playing in, in kind of um, local community settings and, um, and developed a, a musical repertoire and language with each other. And that kind of grew into, you know, starting a band. And when we moved to New York, we started making albums together and, and performing together. Or rather, we continued doing that. Right. And it's just been kind of like a part of our lives from the beginning we've always been making stuff together um so yeah i don't i don't know what it would be like not to be doing that it's always been there you know yeah i mean like i won i mean i have siblings but i couldn't i don't know i could i don't know if i've ever imagined the the relationship of being an identical twin (laughs) from the start and then also like the identical twins who create art together but it's funny because you guys like when you moved to new york i've I've listened to your labeouf brothers albums before but then like you kind of branched off and now you guys each Mm -hmm. have your established identities and still your your sibling identity as the labeouf brothers music so it's like three completely different that's a really good way to think about it i'd say that's that's very accurate in terms of the way we think about it i think a lot of the time um though i can't speak for remy um, but <laughs> I think often when we collaborate, you know, there's, it's a Venn diagram where like, I'm one of the circles and he's one of the circles. And there's this in-between place where we're like, okay, well this, this, you know, works for both of us. Um, and it is really kind of like a, a joint identity that's separate from our individual identities. Um, yeah. I mean, like it's, its own that, thing, you know, that's, that's just an interesting concept in general. I mean, very few people have that relationship besides like you, the Ferbers, the Barbers, like the, the <laughs> Barbers, jazz twins yeah. of, of the Stricklands, <laughs> the Stricklands, yeah. right. We're yeah. The, the, the jazz <laughs> twins that, I mean, the, we're out the, you guys are out there. I don't remember if it was you or if it was Remy once upon a time, I was like, you guys need to create an album. with like the, the jazz, the jazz twins. Uh, all the twins. Are not at, yeah. Yeah. The jazz <laughs> we twins. We play with the Ferber brothers. Uh, oh yeah. You know, a couple of times. Yeah. They're fun. Yeah. I mean, if there was—I mean, we played with the Strickland brothers too, actually. Really? I mean, like, yeah. I'm, I'm now just thinking about it. I'm pitching it. Extra musical listeners, I don't know if you know this, but like, there's a <laughs> lot of there's some jazz twins. If there was a bass jazz twin, and uh, wait, I'm trying to a bass jazz twin that had a brass jazz twin. That'd be it. That's that's a that's an album right there. I'm trying to remember if there's 
Yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> I'll let you know if something comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll. Yeah. I'll. I'll. Uh, <laughs> I'll buy that immediately. The. <laughs> I don't know what it'd be called, but it's. I've always thought it was interesting um, that you and Remy have this like that Venn diagram that you talked about where it's like you have your musical discography together, but then you have completely separate identities and completely separate sounds. And really it's like, it's the, a very individualized thing. Well, cause which of course you're individuals, that makes sense. Uh, so it's, I just thought it was cool that you guys yeah. get to collaborate from such an early age, but then establish yourselves as like, of course we're not twins all the time. Here's me. Like, so like, what's, when you made, what was your first like project, like outside of the Low Buff Brothers, like how'd that differ from collaborating with your longest collaborator? Oh man. I mean, I don't know about how it would be different. I mean, I feel like every collaboration is different Mm -hmm. and, you know, just to kind of connect to what we were just saying, I feel like that Venn diagram idea with Remy is, is something that I love to apply every time I collaborate with somebody where it's like you're trying to understand a person, where they're coming from, what they're trying to say. And, you know, if you're composing or for them or if you're, you know, accompanying them in a jazz ensemble, either way, you know, your job is to kind of like help them say their thing and, and make them feel good um, and say your thing, too. And so that Venn diagram exists, I think, in a lot of kind of, you know, um, micro kind of relationships. Yeah. But uh in terms of like, well, what's the question again? Uh, I, I kind of don't remember. It was, like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, how do those, how do those types of projects differ from oh, like the little oh, when, when was the first time I did something like, else? Yeah. 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 When's the I first mean, time we did. Well, that's an interesting part of the, the kind of twin development conversation too, is, you know, when, when you're constantly working with somebody who's looks like you and people mix you up and, <laughs> you know, they assume that you will think the same and all this stuff. Right. And you, you're constantly trying to distinguish yourself from that person. That's true. You yeah. know, you're like, uh, okay, you know, I love working with this person and I love the stuff we make together, but also like, you know, what about me is, is, is different from this person and how can I like emphasize that? Yeah. And so I think, uh, you know, Remy and I certainly um, have our versions of that. And sometimes we've, you know, at different times in our careers, we've been kind of um, intentional about it. Like, I remember for a while, like when we did In Praise of Shadows in 2011-ish, you know, Remy was starting to do classical stuff. Mm-hmm. And he was checking, when I say classical, I mean classical. Like, he was checking out Bartok, you know, and... Um, that Ernst Lemby treatise, I though. I don't actually remember everything he was doing. I do remember Bartok was a big part of it, and maybe some Schoenberg and stuff like this. And at the time, I was really into electronic music and production. And so, you know, that album is kind of like a hodgepodge of like different aesthetics because <laughs> mm-hmm. we were had this Venn diagram with the jazz in it, and then we were each trying to put our classical and our you know electronic production stuff into it, and. And that Venn diagram got, got a little blurry. <laughs> it was like one of those like multi-level Venn diagram memes. But like, have you ever seen <laughs> one of those memes before? Uh, probably. I don't, oh, I don't know. oh my gosh! There's one. I'm gonna. I'm probably gonna attach it to the show notes. But it's um, it's one like DJs, um, <laughs> DJs, roller coaster operators. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
shit. I can't remember what the other DJs, roller coaster operators, bank robbers. I can't remember what the fourth one was, but the middle of it all is put your hands in the air. Yeah, <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah. 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 But like, I bet it, it sends, it's like uh, my, our right. jazz sensibilities, our classical sensibilities, yeah. our individual, all just like compounding on each other as a Venn diagram to what that specific yeah. thing is at that time. Cause it really is just a snapshot of, both of you individually and collaboratively at that time. So like 2011 you versus 2023 you must sound like different, interesting. Even the collaboration sounds different. Like I doubt Hush, like the recent LaBeouf Brothers album sounds like the 2011 album at all. Yeah. Yeah. music the music that you guys premiered at the skull street studio like 2022 maybe 2021 yeah it was 2021 that was like the night before the recording session i watched that oh really yeah i watched that yeah i wanted to streamed were were you there yeah no i I street i I was i streamed it i was not that's great yeah i was down here in maryland and i was like Oh no, no problem. I was just like, yeah, I want to check this out. I think it was it was uh, you two, Linda Mahan, oh, um, mm-hmm. Dana Thanks. Stevens, and I can't remember who was on drums. Christian Newman. Yeah, I was like, it was a great band, and um, uh, I, I had love just those talked. People. Yeah, I just talked to Remy about something. He was like, catch this. I was like, I'm absolutely, I will. So when I was listening to Hush, I was like, I, I think this is the music that I listened to yeah. like two years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like really cool to revisit that. Um, and then you also have another project that like from the day that I'm recording this, actually, I think I'm going to just release this on Monday because I don't have any other recordings right now, but, uh, <laughs> the, from uh, released last Friday called ritual being right. Mm-hmm. So what's the, like the, the, the thought behind that process? What, what, what is, what is ritual being as a concept album or sorry, okay. as a concept? Yeah. Well, I could go a, a couple different ways with this. I mean, the, the, the pieces are, well, let's see, how should I talk about this? Um, well, first of all, it's a, it's a recording that kind of explores, um, you know, the contemporary classical community and, and the jazz community and kind of how, <clears throat> how we can work together and make stuff. Um, so in terms of like, um, you know, artistic communities, that's kind of what it's about. And a lot of the pieces were actually kind of composed as contemporary classical pieces, um, you know, meaning like they started out as like notated, very intentional, very kind of detailed rhythmic pieces, um, which is what I was really into, you know, when I started really jumping into um, composition in, at Princeton. So like, you know, it's a documentation of that 
scene and you know what I, what I was listening to at the time um and, and a lot of those pieces kind of go back there like a diary of the last seven to eight years oh wow um and after I wrote those pieces you know like I would often think man wouldn't it sound great with drum set wouldn't it sound great if this section got opened up for a solo or you know oh couldn't I turn this one into like a little you know a section with saxophone fills or whatever and then I thought why don't I do that yeah. Um, and why don't I, cause I feel like sometimes I feel like, um, if it's, if it's something that you can do that, you know, that's kind of more, you know, if, if as an artist, if, if you have, um, a certain under, understanding of something that's kind of un- unusual, you know, like, I think you should do that thing, mm-hmm. you know, like it makes it feel like, oh, this is a contribution I can make, um, that kind of brings these, these communities together. You know, maybe people will think this is interesting, you know, at least other people aren't doing this thing. So it'll have its own life. Um, I mean, so that's that, kind of how I, I thought about this. I feel like that is interesting as a concept in, in, in general. I mean, so bringing together two communities with uh, pieces that you originally thought of for one of the communities and then synthesizing that to me, I mean, my master's thesis was on, uh, mixed ensemble music because I just loved those different instrumentations that people were working with in the 21st century that mm-hmm. like incorporated all these musicians that usually wouldn't play together and the sensibilities that usually that were thought to not mesh together. So the fact that you're yeah. like that you're branching out and and can oh Ben Wendell's on this album. Sorry, I'm like ADD right now. <laughs> I was you're like, cool, man. I looked to the right. I was like, yo, Ben Wendell's on this album. I'm yeah. so excited. There is a tune with Remy and Ben Wendell. It's going to be tenor alto madness. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it, it's uh, it's an interesting uh, concept that like kind of feels like a Venn diagram of of your internal mind. <laughs> well, I think everything we make is some version of that. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. <laughs> but but this certainly is no exception. I think it's 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 intentional in that you know it um, at least there's some artistic focus to it. Um, but uh, anyway, that's what it's about. And uh, yeah. you know, in retrospect, it's funny. Like you know, I, I composed a lot of the music already a few years ago, and so um, I'm feeling like you know, it's all, it was all written for like the stage, you know, like Mm -hmm. I love the feeling of when you go to a concert and it's actually a live thing and there's this kind of electricity in the room, like something really kind of exciting is happening and the musicians are on the edge of their seats. And then you feel like you're watching, you know, this kind of like balancing act happen. Um, So a lot of the music was kind of written for the musicians to like have fun and to do something like kind of acrobatic and virtuosic. I got really into like writing virtuosic music. Mm-hmm. When I say that, I mean like something where like the performers can really, you know, um, you know, uh, get highlighted for their magical abilities, you know? And so a lot of the music was like that <laughs> and I wrote it and I put it together with these musicians and everything. And now I listen back to it like years later and I'm kind of like, wow, this is really intense. <laughs> after, after after covid and everything you know and everybody, now i'm like sitting in my living room you know doing yoga listening to meredith monk and stars of the lid and and whatever like chill boards of canada thing <laughs> you know 
And if I, then when I listen to, to, to my own music, I'm like, well, this is intense. <laughs> Funny. But, I mean, that's interesting because, like, just listening to the stuff you wrote. When you, so I have this question because sometimes I think about when I read people's annotated scores. When you write, do you take, so, like, because you expanded this later, years after you wrote it, did you, like, have to reanalyze what you wrote? Or did you like take extensive or like when you look at your scores, you're like, of course, that's what I'm doing. I kind of always know what I'm doing to an extent. I mean, I'm so, I'm a big theory nerd and, mm-hmm. you know, like it's sometimes I'll, oh, but you know, I'm, I'm definitely not like notation. Uh, um, I'm not super comfortable with notation in the way like a lot of classical musicians are. Like I've always had an imposter complex about like classical music and, and things like this. Um, so like, a lot of my scores like have hidden chord changes and things like this Ooh. that are like they're in the Sibelius file or whatever. And, and I can unhide them, you know, and they help me kind of, if I come back to something later, I can look at them and be like, you know, exactly what's going on. That's so smart. Thank you. Oh my God. I've never, that's so smart. <laughs> I should hide the, okay. So when I'm harmonizing things, especially I'm like, what did I do? what is this? Okay. All right. And I have to like go back through and like analyze what I did. But if I put a chord, Oh wow. Okay. All right. Okay. Refocus. <laughs> that was great. Oh, um, so like when you're, when you're sitting down to uh, like, for example, uh, the ritual being as is a, is a sweet, right? Like, well, kind of, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 multiple movements yeah so so when you're uh sitting down to write like anything uh do you have like a specific creative process like a a a mixture of things that you focus on like games or like uh, um serial things or like Mm -hmm. melodic development where you're like oh i like to do like well how do you write how would you approach writing for this type of ensemble or just in general well, I mean, I think there are different different ways to prioritize and, you know, different tricks. But I try to make the, the most important priority to be the people. You know, oh. like I'm writing something. It, I'm usually writing it for a person or a group of people, like very specific individuals. And um, I, you know, and I was talking about the Venn diagram stuff earlier. You know, I really try to think about, like, what are these people about, you know, and what am I about? And where's that middle ground? Um and I think that's why I like, you know, hybrid ensembles because the Venn diagram gets kind of complicated and it makes a fun puzzle, you know, and people can kind of take turns so that the diagram moves around depending on who's playing or whatever. Um, but uh, I definitely try to think, you know, what are these people trying to say? How can I help them say it? And I think if I'm composing something, um, it's it's the same as if you're playing in an ensemble, you know, you're setting up a game for somebody to um to succeed in some way Mm -hmm. so you want to help them succeed um in whatever their goals are musically you know if that means like you know being able to express himself with improvisation or if that means you know being able to nail some virtuosic technical double stops passage you know it's the same idea um and i think that um i think i'm drawn to musicians that are interested in innovating in some way or like kind of pushing, pushing it in some way. And so I get really interested in 
um, you know, what, what they're pushing, you know, what are, I mean, I'm sure you think about it with your music, like, you know, when, when you're doing something you haven't done before, you know, yeah, it's exciting, right? I mean, it is exciting, especially when you're like, you have a new idea and it's uh, something you haven't done in any piece before and you have to sit there and figure it out. That yeah. to me is like the puzzle of figure. And when you sit back and go, I think I figured it out. Like yeah. that. And then you hear the people you wrote it for play it. You're like, Oh it's my gosh, rewarding. this is the best. It's the best feeling. It's yeah. the best feeling, especially compared to like electronic playback. We're like, whatever sounds okay, cool. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to be in a room with, I was, I was literally talking about this earlier today with mm-hmm. my general music class, my music appreciation class in my high school. Uh, we were talking about um, uh, little C, well, not, yeah, little C classical music um, and like classical music genres uh, of, uh, or classical music ensembles. I was like, yeah, symphonies. It's cool to listen to them, but like really you go see them. Like it's, it's different. Like you're there and you hear it. Like to listen to this electronic uh, reproduction of what was recorded is cool. It's great. It's wonderful. But like, it's different when you're in the room, just like any other performance. So like to figure something out and that Venn diagram of yours, and then to see that small, small portion of overlap in real time out loud or to hear it. Yeah. That must be extremely rewarding. Yeah. I think it's fun. (laughs) It's it's like if you have a bunch of people that you respect and admire in the band too, that maybe don't know each other, then you get to see them discover each other too. And that's really rewarding. Oh, when they you just know, like, like, they have that bright face where they're like, Oh my gosh, who is this person? I want to collaborate with this person. Or just like this feel, I feel like it, some, you know, this could be a way of interpreting something as like authentic, you know, like all people talk about like authenticity with improvisation and so on. I think like, you know, if we're, if we're putting on our jazz hats, I feel like there's this <laughs> kind of this feeling of connection and intimacy that we feel with each other when we make deep music together, when everyone is like kind of like exploring and finding something powerful together, that connection, you know, I think that's, that's what we strive for, you know? And uh, yeah, I think that's the goal. So that's what I mean when I say like the first priority is about the people, Yeah, you know, it's about the people and creating some experience where everybody gets to participate and feel seen and appreciated and and also see and appreciate and and have this magic connection with each other. And I think when that happens, the audience feels it and the recording sounds good and everything just kind of works. I feel like uh, you, you, that's a big like draw and positive, not necessarily that the question I'm asking about to ask is negative, but like, that's a big draw. What is one of the things that like challenges you that like, that puts your, your, not grinds your gears, but necessarily puts you to the whetstone when you're um, like staying creative and productive. And when you're like actually writing, what it's one of the things that challenges you as a musician and as a composer. I mean, deadlines, Mm. <laughs> man it's hard to stick to deadlines it's like there's this um um there's this um experience that you have when you're composing something too where you're like it can be easy to kind of like um try things try this thing try that thing you know you could try things forever 
and eventually right. you have to commit to something. And sometimes it's hard to do that because it can be really, really enjoyable to search and search and search and explore and explore to find the perfect thing. Um, and I think that sometimes the challenging thing is to just do it um, and just to um, commit to something. And I think that, you know, the worst thing that's going to happen is you end up writing a piece that doesn't work very well. Um, and that happens sometimes anyway, even if you spend tons of time with ideas, right. <laughs> it's kind of like, <laughs> well, you know, um, you got to try your hardest and don't get too caught up in it if, it, if it's not working. <laughs> so, uh, like when you're, when, when you're sticking to these deadlines, do you ever have to like push them? Are you like a pusher back type of person or you're like, I guess I have to like commit and finish this by the deadline? Well, I try to finish it, you know, by the deadline or relatively close to it. I think as long as I'm communicating with the people involved, yeah. I think I think that's really what it's about. Because sometimes you can't you can't be late for things. Um, I kind of I kind of feel like the the not the opposite, but like one of my biggest motivators is deadlines. Mm-hmm. Uh, where I mean, I feel like it's the same reason though. So like you feel challenged by it, but I'm like. Thank God there's a deadline because I would <laughs> I have to commit to something. Yeah. Like for example, I have a piece that I have to finish this weekend, and it's like, yeah. well, thank God that I have to finish it this weekend because if not, then I'm just gonna keep like, hmm, maybe the maybe the intro could go more like this. Maybe this isn't the intro. Maybe this is like the outro. Maybe blah blah blah. And I just, yeah, just have to yeah. commit to that. The struggle is real. <laughs> the struggle is literally absolutely real. It's it's a very funny. Uh, I love when other people say the things that you're thinking or have a different take on the things that you're thinking because you're like, oh, I didn't know other people thought the same thing. Because it, it's sometimes frustrating or sometimes like, oh, yay, I feel seen because you also. Or like deadlines, man. They're crazy. Yeah, that's the hardest thing, man. I can't say. I couldn't. <laughs> I I could do it, but I'm glad I don't have to do it all the time. Um, so you have your your musical life, uh, but like outside of your musical life, like what are the things that make Pascal Pascal? Like, what do you do that's not writing or playing that you're like, oh, this is uh, not a part of my identity, but part of the things that like give me life oh man that's a good way to put it okay well probably they're they're i love yoga i love hot yoga I do hot it yoga like oh you multiple like times a week i'm really into it and, and it's partially because you know i i've had performance related injuries since i was like 21 oh. nothing like nothing like really bad but just like kind of like i have to keep it keep things in check otherwise i get some tinnitus in my you know shoulder and and I've got like a compressed disc in my neck, nothing like crazy, but like enough that I have to, I have to take care of my body or I'm not going to feel good. Yeah. So I got into doing yoga. Um, cause it was one of these things you could do in New York in the winter without having to pay a ton of money to do it mm. in your tiny apartment. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and yoga is great because you don't have to be on your wrists. It's mostly, um, oh. it's mostly either, you know, standing or, or on the ground. And so that was good for my body. Um, so I'm really into yoga, and I also love listening to um, uh, electronic music and reading science fiction. Oh, science fi- reading science fiction. The, the, not to pass over the electronic music, but like what? You have to like kinda, they go together, you know? Yeah, I mean, I yeah. To be fair, it's you like haven't. A square Pusher goes with Isaac Asimov. 
you know, Asimov. Uh, who, Asimov. What? What is that? Is that? That's not the. Oh, uh, he's like the iRobot. He's like a yeah, classic. Um, one of my favorite combos is um, Tom York. Uh, what's the one? Or the, there was a. Why can't I remember it? Tom York released an album not long ago, and um, N.K. Jemison together. It's like my magic combo right now. I just ran out of N.K. Jemison. I read all her stuff, and now I I need some other stuff to read. I do not know science fiction authors for nothing. You're like naming them, like oh yeah, yeah. but you know, you know, like uh, superhero stuff. I do, yeah. That's science fiction. <laughs> Someone science told fiction. me the other, uh, like it was like months ago, but they're like, yeah, you're the superhero jazz guy. I was like, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah, I do love superhero stuff. So like, <laughs> so Asimov, I feel like there's multiple things that I know I know him for. So iRobot's a thing. Are there any other series that he I mean, has? I, I I picked him because he's kind of like a standard. Um, it's like when you're like, oh, I like fantasy, like Tolkien. It's like everyone yeah. kind of knows that name. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, he's cool. Uh, I've yeah, I've never I've never read. Uh, I don't well, not never read. I don't think in my adult life I've read a science fiction novel. Uh, yeah, not since like high school. So uh, what have you re- what have you read recently in your science fiction readings? Um, well, let's see. I think the, what's it called? I think it's a Broken Earth series. Um, let me just double check this. Yeah. Broken, the Broken Earth series is like an an NK Jemison series. It's like three books. Um, uh, that's probably my favorite. Um, sounds post-apocalyptic. Yeah, kind of it. Well, it's like a, you know, one of these like alien worlds kind of, you know, where there are these people, um, it's been it's been a second since I read it, but um, but there are these people that can kind of like uh, control and and uh, move the earth and um, and they're kind of um, um, villainized by society and they're all these kind of like um, kind of post apocalyptic style communities that kind of gather and somebody saves the world and this kind of stuff. It's really awesome though. And, mm. and and kind of like a social commentary on the present. So there's like an element of it that's not just entertainment. I think that's the thing that really makes me enjoy and appreciate and connect to it. That there's a level of it that's kind of, I can find whether they're intentional or not, but I think they are. Yeah. Um, there are parallels with the present and with the way our society is broken. And, um, and it just, I feel like it's a nice way to try to understand people um, and to think about the world around us. That's oh. why I like it, and that author in particular. Oh, I feel like um, when people talk about the books that they're interested in, I always think I should read those books, and then like I remember that they're interested in it, and like if I go to start it, I don't know how. It, is it like how is it in its composition? Is it like one of those? I know Tolkien esque is like. They're different genres. There aren't as long. There aren't as many long paragraphs with like, glad detailed information as Tolkien. I'm glad you understood exactly yeah. what I meant. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like I don't. I don't know if I could. Uh, it's not. Do a, that. It's not stylized in the same way. I mean, it's a different person's Venn diagram. <laughs> <laughs> this all comes back to Venn diagrams, folks. Yeah. This is the Venn diagram episode. 
That's what the cover will be. Man, it's good to be back in Cleveland. For over three decades, the Bop Stop has served as the home of jazz in Cleveland, featuring everyone from up-and-coming local talent to the legends of jazz. I'm Daniel Peck. Join Gay Pollock and me weekly as we bring you an hour of live jazz directly from our stage on Live at the Bop Stop. But people around the country know how great a club this is. New episodes of Live at the Bop Stop are available every Monday at noon on your preferred podcast provider we uh we touched on your 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 books you also said there was something you said right before books electronic music and you had studied that and like it seems like you're you you go in depth as you like sit in front of several uh keyboards and like several like (laughs) um uh like i'm assuming there's like pedals in that room because i see pre all my gear uh, yeah like this is the gear room behind me okay i was like i see some sort of modulator or something yeah, so like when you were getting into electronic music, what was like your original foray into that? How did you like excuse me, how did you get into start that? listening to it? Yeah. Oh man, I think I was in college. I think Radiohead was the gateway. I oh. was really into Radiohead and I also really liked like the later Beatles stuff. And I think that there's kind of a parallel there where like the album became less about the band and and more about the band in the studio. And in, inter, in, engaging creatively with with sound effects and kind of with headphones, making music for the headphones instead of the stage mm. is the way I would put it. And I realized I was just really interested in in the the, the textural cap, uh, possibilities and the colors. I felt kind of like, oh, um, actually, Dave Binney said this to me one time when we were hanging out because I was a big Dave Binney fan. Um, and, and Remy and I, I remember going hang out with him and him saying something like, well, Coltrane was alive today. He'd probably be a DJ. Yeah. You know, he'd probably be making electronic music, not playing saxophone, you know, and, which is like, what does that even mean? You know, like who knows what, you know, Coltrane would be doing if he were alive today. That doesn't, things like that don't happen. But, you know, I think the point is that like um, at the time, which was probably around like 2006 or something, you know, electronic music was, was really you know, and still is, but, you know, especially then with kind of, um, access to digital, um, editing and, and media and, um, and just the way computers are developing, you know, it, that's a whole fun frontier. And, and, um, I, I just wanted to listen to that music all the time for completely unmusical situations, just to kind of like relax and, and, and feel certain feelings, um, you know, I don't know about you, but I feel kind of like music is um, has a, a practical function in my life where like, you know, if I'm feeling a certain way, I can kind of prescribe some music, a certain style of something and, mm-hmm. and listen to it. And then it makes me feel better or helps me address something or whatever. And I found I was getting more and more into these uh, electronic music um, spaces, like a lot of the early 2000 Warp Records artists, you know, um, Stuff like um, Aphex Twin and uh, and Boards of Canada, um, Jamie Liddell. Um, I really liked trip hop. I loved Sneaker Pimps and Massive Attack. And hey, um, all right, yeah, I was like, okay, like, here's one. I'm like, I'm <laughs> waiting for a name that I know. And and probably one of my favorite bands is Portishead. Portishead. I don't know. Does that sound familiar? They're There's like, the only. The only like uh not band, I guess they were a DJ. And they were like electronic, but more so like DJ. Uh was Girl Talk was the only one. And it was more mashups mm-hmm. of things. So it wasn't necessarily like new composition. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like Wait, that was a track or no, Girl Talk is like the the DJ. Oh, oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was like I was in high school, and my friend would be like, "Let's listen to this new Girl Talk yeah. track." And I was like, "This is actually pretty dope. This is uh, yeah. this is crazy." Like, you, well, you take all this found music that uh, everyone knows and make it sound completely different, uh, but or just even taking the timbres. I like how you said you're making music for the for the headphones. I've never heard that before. Well, I mean, we listen to music on headphones deeply all the time, you know, mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I especially was at the time, like, I was living in New York, going on these walks, sitting in the subway, and reading books in coffee shops. And, and, and you know, anytime I had, like, a moment to spare, you know, I had my headphones on. So, anyway, it made me think there was this disconnect between the music I was listening to and the music I was making. And so a lot of, a lot of my kind of artistic journey was trying to connect those dots. So in like your like contemporary concert music, do you ever like kind of bridge that gap? Like when I turn on <laughs> Ritual Being, will there be any music that or any portions yeah. of it that are yeah that are like that? Well, kind of. I mean, so if I tell you, you'll hear it. I no, think. Okay. Okay. So, so so like um, you know, in, in that case, I think um. Like, I, I don't think of myself as a classical musician. Okay, I never cool. really spent a lot of time listening to, like, classical music. I'm not the guy that knows all the different Beethoven pieces, you know. Mozart, like, uh, it's, like, not my favorite stuff. Um, it, you know, but I think, like, writing for classical musicians, I think what, what got me really excited about it is, like, what if I take some acid house music, like Luke Vibert, um, and I try to make some kind of a like translate it, um, translate the language, not a literal translation, but like, you know, think about what are the compositional techniques that make music work when you're using a 16 step sequencer, a drum yeah. machine, you know, a 303 and an 808 or something. And what happens if I do that with strings or, or something like this? So there's a track on Ritual Being called Obliquely Wrecked, which is. I, like just what I was describing, it's kind of a translation of of language associated with acid house music, um, where I try to turn the cello and the violin into drum machines by using a bunch of different extended techniques. Um, you know, the the piano pitches even imitate a synthesizer. You know, because there are these things you can do with synths where you have the pitch kind of is is like an envelope where it's kind of going, yeah. and then you. And then you quantize the pitch so that it turns into discrete pitches. And, and like they get, the intervals get closer and closer together. Cause it's math. It's like really cool. And, and then that sounds cool on a piano. And so that's where those pitches come from. And, um, and everything is like very strict in metronomic, you know, because it's, it's relating to this language of computer music. Oh yeah. Um, and none of it is coming from classical music. It's coming from, you know, nerdy electronic music yeah well i mean it's also really funny to to think about all the influences you're talking about and then to like label it as one thing it's this hodgepodge venn diagram of of all these all these things and like i'm i looked at the label earlier uh i always think it's funny to like look at what things are uh advertised as when they're like put into a genre on a streaming Mm -hmm. site or something it's like it's like jazz i'm like okay 
Like, <laughs> whatever. Like, uh, yeah. Well, I think I think genres are often just ways of kind of talking about music and and associating communities, right? So yeah, it's right. Like, we have to put a label on it. It's like I'm a jazz musician. I play piano. You know, it's. I don't know what the hell it is, but I'm gonna call it jazz because that's my community right because yeah <laughs> that is an interesting way of, it's a community when i talk to when i tell my kids about it i'm like uh you know there was a certain point where none of these words existed because they were just it was just music yeah, yeah? yeah. you just did the thing yeah yeah it was like it's it's but it's still it's like cool to 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 know that when i turn this on it's gonna have all these different influences I'm excited to listen because I'm like, oh, that's what that is. Like, and some when you even describe putting a, an envelope filter on a thing, I was like, okay, yeah, it's gonna do the thing. And then you're like, and then you quantize it. I'm like, oh, <laughs> and that's how it gets like that. Okay, like, and now I'm I'm imagining that for for different instruments. For you said it's gonna happen on, in a piano line. I'm just gonna look for that. I'm like, I'm waiting for it. I'm going to turn yeah. on obliquely wrecked, and, and if it doesn't happen in the first two minutes, I'm going to cry. I'm ready. Oh, it's, I'm, you'll hear it. It's there. <laughs> um, so um, when you're thinking, like, in re- reflecting on your artistic life, uh, what is, like, one thing that you kind of didn't expect when you were planning, well, making this silly plans of plans, but when you're planning out your your life at age 18, for example, what's one thing you didn't expect when you're looking at yourself at 38, 36, 37, yeah. uh, 37, 37. Yeah. Yay. I was like, I think I did math. <laughs> right. I don't know. Um, yeah. Well, I don't know. It's a lot of stuff that you don't expect. I mean, I feel like my whole life artistically, it's like you have your compass, your creative compass. Mm. It's the way I like to think about it. And that's driving the bus. And there are things that are on the bus and that aren't on the bus. Sometimes you just kind of follow follow that compass and takes you places. So, you know, I wouldn't expect to be living in Nashville. That's kind of like <laughs> random, but it's cool. It worked out. There's a lot of nice studios here. The people are nice. There's a jazz scene. It's cool. Like, things are here. Um, what else didn't I expect? I certainly would not have expected to be writing for classically trained musicians. You know, my whole musical journey was... Uh, kind of avoiding classical music for most of my life, um, just not feeling an authentic connection with it. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like um, I was waiting, I think, to find a way in that felt right for me. And um, and I think that was the last thing that happened or the most recent thing that's happened in my kind of creative journey. Um, definitely wouldn't have expected that, though. You know, <laughs> I... Yeah, I've always felt intimidated by by classical music. I wonder how many people historically have felt kind of the same, where they're like, they felt not a genuine connection to the predecessor or to like the the established thing, but through their exploration of other musics or other sensibilities, then established what they would like to do with the same or similar instrumentations and then like it's now a new thing does, does, does that make sense i wonder if kind that's of, like, yeah that's just well, like how it works well i think that there's this kind of everyone's got their their compass but there's also like this kind of reality of like you know what do i have access to like mm-hmm. what 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 are what's sustainable 
you know, and I think that drives people in all kinds of funny directions, you know, and I'm sure, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but I do think that like the time that we live in right now, you know, there are a lot of people that, you know, go to college and they study music, for example, at least, or at least that's the kind of track that I was on academia music thing. And a lot of people, especially want to study classical music because it's got this social capital that's associated with it. Um, and they think they're going to get into an orchestra and all the orchestras are folding. And so nobody gets into an orchestra <laughs> and then they don't have any work. And then they're like, what am I going to do? And then you, you know, I think we live in this time where there are like a lot of people that are really good musicians and they're not in the orchestra. And then they're like, what should I do? And, and I'm like, I got something for you to do. You know, like, I think, I think there are, there that's a unique moment in time and it's like a creative opportunity. Um, and I think that people throughout time probably have been in situations like that, you know, um, who, who's to say, uh, you know, how, how different people have engaged with that. I mean, how have you engaged with that? You I know? don't know, but uh, like, it seems like <laughs> you're looking at what could be considered a deficit and you're seeing an opportunity. Like, which is a great way of, of thinking about it, where it's like, oh, there's a deficit of ensembles who are hiring, and there's a deficit of, uh, and like you're looking around and going, well, who's in my area who can play what, or what, what different instrumentations are there, and who can I write for, or what opportunities can I create? And who are the others? people that I want to hang out with? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, isn't it great when you're like, oh, I love everyone who's involved with this. This is fun. I don't want to go home. Oh yeah. Like I don't want to. I, I don't definitely stop started doing... projects just because I want to like have have some excuse to hang out with people yeah. that I like. You know. He was like so. the rehearsal lasted for an hour and a half, and then everything else lasted for the rest of the day. Uh, it was a <laughs> it was a great day. Um, <laughs> The I mean, one- thank God I've got this project with Remy. You know, it's like I get to see Remy yeah. because we do this, you know, as part of seeing seeing Remy is having a band. So it's like, okay, we can go perform together and I get to see my brother, you know? Yeah. Like. Well, that's a, that's yeah. that, that's that brotherly love. Uh, me but and my brother don't. It's that have- way with anybody, you know, with yeah. the, with your band, you got people, you got friends in your band you want to see. Yeah. So, uh, I, unfortunately, one of my friends who um, had a baby recently has kind of like stepped back from playing as often um, mm-hmm. just so he can focus on um, his daughter. And it kind of makes me a little bit sad. I'm like, no, wait, no, we did this. But like <laughs> at the same time, I still think to go see him and his moon face baby all the time. She has the Aww. cutest little moon face. Aww. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so like it's it. At first, it was, like, all the musical projects that we did together, all the gigs and stuff, that we got to hang out together. And now we just get to hang out. So, But, like, yeah. it helps when you also have to work together, too. <laughs> you get to hang out more. It's compounded uh, hangout time.
if you could go back in time and give a piece of advice to like your your 18 year old self if you're like looking at you you just moved out to new york and you're like i want to give you a piece of advice kid here it is straight from the source pascal LaBeouf says oh my god i don't know what to say (laughs) um i don't know i have no regrets but I, I do wish. Uh, I'm sure there are things I could do better. I don't know. I wish I was better at time management, but I don't feel like my 18 year old self wants to hear that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I think I would tell myself that it's okay not to to go after every opportunity. Mm. And I, I think I would also tell myself um, it's okay to, you know, um, especially when you're young, to invest in other people that are your age doing the things you're doing. Um, I think I was really interested in working with my heroes when I, when I started out in New York, because all of a sudden they were all there. Yeah. You call up Chris Potter and be like, Hey, you want to play at the 55 bar? And he'd be like, okay. And like, that's an amazing thing. But I think that um, when I was really young, I think, um, you know, I, I, um, I think I was, I was so excited by that, that, um, at least at the beginning, like I didn't quite see the value of like, you know, the people that I was coming up with um, as being like, you know, it's oh, it's our responsibility to build this thing together, you know. Mm-hmm. So I wish I had done more of that. I think that's a, that's really an interesting concept. Um, and like, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like people are pressured externally to. It's also a want that you expressed to, like, work with your heroes. But there's also, like, sometimes uh, an industry kind of community pressure to, like, play play with the dudes, you know. Oh, yeah. Featuring. pressure to to create a project that's going to be marketable and Mm -hmm. something that that people are going to want to write about. And, I mean, there's so much pressure, you know. And and with social media, too, like, there's even more pressure of, like, what kind of stuff is going to succeed well with the algorithms and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's so frustrating and it's so hard, I think for people to navigate and it's still hard for me to navigate things like this. I mean, cause everything's changing all the time. Yeah. Um, I mean, like what you, what you said makes sense to me and it's something I kind of hold dear. I don't, I do love the people I love listening to, but at the same time, I I've been making music with the people that I've been making music with. So what's more authentic to me, like playing music with those people or just calling up somebody that like, it's different. Like uh, for big band stuff, like how we met, I I would go to a city and I would call up a band and I, for me, that's slightly different. But like, if I'm playing in an ensemble that I got to play with the same people over and over and over, I kind of want to keep that with me yeah yeah you know that's like that's like our music i wrote it but that's our music that we write together and like as soon as you hear someone else on it you're like you know that's not what it usually sounds like and it's okay because that's music it doesn't always have to sound like that but at the same time it's like oh i kind of miss kind of miss my dude like on that so like it's it's really nice that prioritizing the community but prioritizing every aspect of the community like your colleagues uh, at the same entry level as you yeah that's a good i that's a good thought process for young children or young children young musicians yeah hmm. 
Um, so, like, we talked about some suggested reading, listening um, for... I'm, I'm going to type... I'm, I, when I re-listen to this, I'm, like, going to furiously Google and type some stuff uh, for <laughs> uh, reading and listening. Is there anything uh, else that you've been working on that you'd want the listeners to know about? We have um, Ritual Being, and we also have Hush, the uh, LaBeouf Brothers album. I think it released this past April? That's right. Yeah, okay. Yeah, two albums this year. It's been a busy year. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> um, if there's anything else, well, um, Remy and I have a follow-up to Hush coming out next fall. So a year from now, I guess that's going to be, what, 2024? Mm-hmm. And so that's something on the horizon. It's with the same band. So it's going to be you know Christian Newman, Linda O, oh, uh, um, and Dana Stevens. Cool. And then uh, what else is going on? I'm working on a, a project for my for the Guggenheim Fellowship, actually. Oh yeah, I didn't, we didn't even talk about this on oh. there. Congratulations! <laughs> I said it right Thank before you. we came. Uh, so when was that announced? Maybe like uh, two months ago, something like that. Oh, I don't remember exactly. I think it's it was, been a world. It was April or something like that. Oh, okay. It's been it's been a bit. Um, but uh, it's this fellowship period just started this month, so I just started working uh, officially on it. But it's going to be a project that involves kind of production based orchestra music. Okay. And the idea is that I think that writing for orchestra is really inaccessible. There is a lot of um, there are a lot of barriers, you know, financial barriers, and and you know ways that you have to write and things people you have to know and all this stuff. And it's kind of frustrating, you know. Like I wish that more people, um, especially people that weren't, you know, in academic classical music, I wish more people could write for orchestra and have access to it. And so. I was thinking, well, you know, theoretically, anybody could record an orchestra by doing one instrument at a time to a click track in their in their dorm room or something like this. And True, I was thinking, yeah. well, how can we do that really, really well? Um, and so the project has kind of been um, some version of that, maybe more, you know, <laughs> uh, a higher production version of that. But one where I think if I can pull it off, um, it'll kind of create a template for other people to write orchestra music and record it um, and make it happen that, you know, that maybe are coming from a jazz perspective or just having fun. Yeah. You also don't have to wait to have someone program it for you. Like, yeah. <laughs> wait you're in five control years of your for, own music. Yeah. That, and I think that, yeah, orchestra music needs that. Um, and, uh, and I think we listen to a lot of orchestra music, even if we don't play it, you know, it's like, we all hear it in the movies. We hear, mm-hmm. we hear it in the cartoons, like we hear it in all kinds of commercial situations. Um, it'd be nice to be able to participate in that. Yeah. World. The, the, <laughs> the inaccessibility of producing the performance of your orchestral composition is not something that I've super thought about because i've just never been in that world so like well, i think that the the, the pr- producing part is accessible because anybody can get like a daw on their computer and a microphone mm. i think just like getting access to a conductor and a huge orchestra with a ton of people that are you know being paid union fees sorry and, yeah producing you know, a live performance <laughs> yeah that's what from I meant, an yeah. entire orchestra <laughs> yeah yeah so sorry yeah producing a live performance from an entire orchestra that's kind of inaccessible i mean like who was it? Beethoven who got an endowment that he used for, uh, to pay the orchestras to pay, play his piece. I mean, like I explained this to the kids before. I was like, yeah, I mean, like 
no one programmed that person's music. For a lot of times, they would pay the people to play the music, but they would also have, like, large crowds come to the thing because they were the hot new thing. So, like, you could go broke trying to get your music played. Who was it? (laughs) Charles Ives, who, like, sold insurance but then paid people to play his music? Like there are all kinds of stories. Philip Glass was a taxi driver, you know, this all kinds of stuff. Yeah. So like I'm hoping that that that, that kind of opens up uh yeah, what you said, like a template for for new types of of uh ways to get mu- new music performed. Yeah. yeah. I mean that kind of seems like a a very like locuna for post pandemic performance proud yeah. wait, post pandemic performance uh, uh, oh, that's uh, a procedure. Good, that's good. Oh, Post-pandemic hey. performance procedure. Boom. I got P you. P is in pterodactyl. Yeah. Yeah, P is in pterodactyl. <laughs> <laughs> we got alliteration out the wazoo. We got... <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, is... okay, wait, wait. Jumping on this thing again, though, like, I think what's exciting about it, even especially as post-pandemic, is that, like, um, I think we learned during the pandemic that people can do this kind of a thing. But composing specifically for this context yeah it's like you were saying before it could be a creative opportunity not just uh you know a a, you know a problem yeah seeing seeing an opportunity where you see a problem yeah exactly try try to play beethoven with click track it's gonna suck but if you try (laughs) to like write some hairy music that works really well with click track you know where you can you can kind of take advantage of that situation to do things a conductor could never do like yeah that's exciting you know that is exciting yeah i'm just trying to think of like the metronomic possibilities that or like oh my the the overlaying possibilities my goodness gracious great balls of fire because like that's that's some orchestral subdivision that can't that has to be like in that pocket. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes when you're watching or Wonder listening, we could get an orchestra to sound like D'Angelo. Yeah, Jay right. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, have you ever like just been watching an orchestra or listening to an orchestra and you're like, I kind of wish these passages were a bit more in the pocket, not because they're performing them wrong, but you're like, I feel like this dances this shit <laughs> this shit would slap if it danced a bit more yeah, like you're yeah, like you sure. ever listen to Shostakovich and you're like yo this would in slap if it just danced the tiniest yeah. bit more and yeah. uh yeah it's not it's just a different it's just a different affect that that some concert music has where it's very free even when it's in time it's very rubato even when it's in time and sometimes just like no do that pocket bro like uh yeah so seeing that opportunity where you (laughs) where some people might see a problem i'm excited to see because i mean like i hope god willing i'll be here for a while so i'm excited to see what uh what evolves from this because you're in the beginning stages of it right now right the seven days in well, something like that, you know, <laughs> something been, like that. I've, I, everything's been in process. I mean, you know, I'm always thinking about stuff. So it's kind of like, oh, I'll just dip this into the water here and pull it out. later. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but I mean, that's super exciting. And congratulations. Like once again, you. that's like a lot of people's like kind of dream to get a Guggenheim fellowship. Yeah, I feel very lucky. I'm very happy about it's it. It's very, it's very well deserved. It's a, it's a, it, I don't, it's a panel of people who like review 
I don't know how it happens, but one thing I do know is, and I heard David Lang say this one time, the best thing about it is that I don't have to apply again. <laughs> you are forever and ever. You are a good yeah, fellow. I mean, because all our friends, you know, it's like everybody's applying. It's like, oh, the next year goes around. Okay, let's let's put it in that application, you know. Oh, so. I've, yeah, I've never. I, oh man, you should apply. Like it's stupid. awesome. Do yeah, it. maybe one day. <laughs> There's. Um, you're amazing. Yeah, you're amazing. Uh, is there uh, <laughs> to to wrap up? Is there um, anything we we just said? I just asked this question. I was about to ask it again. Where can uh, listeners like find you online to find out more about uh, the things that you're doing and the things that you've done? I'm all. I'm on the internet. Um, yeah. <laughs> my my website is pascalmusic.com. Or you can do PascalLeBeouf.com if you can spell LeBeouf. Um, I spell it wrong every single time. Your brother like, <laughs> has corrected me at least two times. And I don't know if I spelled it wrong when I was working with you that one time. I was like... No, you were oh, cool. You got it. Okay, thank God. Because uh, <laughs> Remy was like, hey, that's not how you spell my last name. I was like, oh, shit. It's okay. It's all Shia LeBeouf's fault. He screwed it up by spelling his name wrong. So then everybody oh, copied him. Wrong? He just messes it up. He doesn't yeah, know he's doing. Shia, come on, just yeah. do it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I've got I've got music out there. I've got a, a lot of music videos too on on YouTube and and just ways of trying to kind of bring the the visual aspect to the music as well on the internet. Well, I I will probably include one of the a video or two from that into the show notes. It's just really exciting to get to sit down and talk to you because like you, too, you have Steven. all this. Exciting stuff going on. So I really like, and I'm excited to listen uh, to Ritual Being uh, because I knew it came uh, it came out soon. I didn't think it was out yet uh, when we made this interview thing. So we were like, yeah, it came out last week, right before we started. I was like, oh, I should have listened to it. I, I kind of <laughs> was like a little mad at myself. An hour no, ago. you're good. You're good. Yeah. Uh, well, um, for now, it's just like, I appreciate you being on the show. Uh, Pascal, and uh, for all of our listeners at home, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening to uh, Pascal's thoughts on music, on life, on hobbies, on anything else. Uh, for now, uh, you can check into our back catalog, but uh, stay safe and stay musical. Have a great night or a great day or a great morning. I don't know what time you're listening to this podcast. Peace out. Thank you for listening to this episode of Extra Musical. Extra Musical is a Hidden Cinema Records production. Please be sure to subscribe and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts and look out for future episodes. Bye for now.